Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Just the Truth Podcast. I'm Jenna Ellis, and today we are going to be talking about the truth of vaccine passports. This is something that, of course, has been uh, widely discussed in the mainstream media because uh, the Biden administration is talking about doing some sort of executive action on the federal level to require vaccine passports. So how do we analyze this in the context of our rule of law and the U.S. Constitution? I know there are a lot of concerns out there. This is a very important conversation. So I want to take a few minutes to break down what you need to know about vaccine passports. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The first thing, of course, is we have to analyze this from a fundamental framework of our U.S. Constitution, because our Constitution, as we've already talked about so often on Just the Truth, our Constitution only gives government specific limited powers to exercise functions of a legitimate government. And those powers, of course, are separated into three different branches on the federal government and the state government, but they're also separated into powers of the federal government and the state government. Those are limited. And so when we analyze something like this, we have to ask ourselves first, who is trying to do this action? What branch and agency of government? State versus federal, uh, legislative versus executive. And so in that framework, we can start to analyze uh, some threshold questions. And so when we're talking about very, very first, when we're talking about a vaccine passport, we have to first say, okay, who is trying to exercise this power of government? And is that a legitimate power that they can do? Not whether or not they should. We can all have those conversations. I've had a lot of conversations uh, in just the last few days with friends and family who have varying opinions on vaccine passports. And that's okay. Opinion is fine. That kind of dialogue is fine. But always in the context of the Constitution, the first question has to be, can this particular government agent or agency or actor do the thing and exercise the power that they're trying to. So when we're first talking about the Biden administration, that's in the executive branch. So the executive has very, very limited authority. And so when we are talking about an executive function, and from my understanding of at least what the Biden administration has claimed that they're preparing to do, this would be uh, through some sort of emergency powers of the executive and through an executive order. So when we look at the emergency powers of the 
federal government. Um, that runs into problems for the Biden administration right away because uh, we're talking, of course, about uh, privacy rights for individuals. We're talking about the right to travel for individuals. We're also talking about federalism, um, the, the difference between what the federal government can do versus the state. And we're also talking about a legislative versus an, an executive function. And so there are arguments even within all of those different areas that run afoul of the separation of powers and also the legitimate limited powers of government um, in order for the Biden administration and the federal executive branch to try to take this kind of action. So emergency powers, by definition, and we've talked about this uh, actually quite a lot uh, in the context of all of the lawsuits, um, some of those that I'm even currently involved in uh, with the Thomas More Society, uh, representing churches in California and Oregon and elsewhere um, against these uh, health orders of executive officials. And so when we talk about uh, the emergency powers that are given to the executive Ahead, the governor on the state level or the president on our national level, those are by definition meant to be temporary and limited. Emergency in both a legal and statutory sense and also in terms of um, just a a common sense, really, of understanding that the definition of an emergency is temporary. It's not indefinite. Uh, the emergency powers that the legislature, through emergency uh, services or emergency powers acts, do not then say we are ceding all of the legislative functions to the executive branch for as long as they think that they want to harness this power and control. It's by definition supposed to be temporary until the legislature is equipped to deal with the emergency that we're contemplating. And often the legislature doesn't even have to do anything. Um, it's a very, very temporary emergency. We think of, um, you know, maybe a hurricane, a, a natural disaster type of event where uh, the governor or the president declares a state of emergency. And then we uh, we deal with that for a temporary time frame of a few days to a few weeks. And then the emergency goes away. Everything returns to normal. Um, and what's so interesting about the progression of the COVID-19 um, quote unquote emergency, right, and this whole pandemic landscape is that the temporary nature of emergency powers have gone so far far from where they were intended, that the executive branch officials have not actually allowed the legislature to do their legislative functions. We are now over a year into this pandemic, and um, and also put that term in air quotes, right? This pandemic, um, because you know, if you actually look at the numbers, and you know, we can argue over that, and we can talk about that. But if you actually look at the numbers. Um, and you look at the actual uh, number of the high risk population, how many people have recovered from this virus and so forth. Um, does this really qualify as a pandemic anymore? Um, in, in my opinion, legally, no. And, um, you know, we can obviously have those conversations. But in terms of the emergency 
powers to the governors. Um, Obviously, Congress and state legislatures um, have been in session since the beginning of this pandemic. And so the whole point of emergency powers is so that the governor or the president can act immediately for the health and safety, again, within a limited context and with legitimate authority uh, within certain parameters um, to make sure that that emergency is addressed. It doesn't mean that they can continue to function as a legislature and issue all these health orders and all of these other mandates and mask orders and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, under the auspices or the pretext of emergency powers when the legislature has already met and is equipped to deal with this legislatively if there is a legislative uh, mechanism that the legislature in its also limited authority wants to contemplate and wants to codify, uh, wants to ultimately uh, make either into a temporary uh, resolution, you know, something that um, would would only be binding for a temporary time frame or however the legislature decides to address this. So when we're talking about the context of any sort of emergency response to COVID-19, the time frame for emergency response is long, long since expired. And uh, I actually addressed this issue with um, Representative uh, Kevin Kiley from California, um, a couple of weeks ago on Just the Truth TV, um, definitely go to americasvoice.news. Um, you can go to shows and click on Just the Truth. You can find that segment in my playlist from Kevin Kiley. Um where he was talking about in the state of California, for example, uh, right now, the when there is a state of emergency declared, then the legislature would have to then, uh, by majority in both houses, basically tell the governor, hey, the emergency is over if he doesn't end it himself. And that's an overreach um, and that's an encroachment on the legislature's powers and prerogative. Um, That is a violation of the separation of powers because what Newsom, what um, other governors are currently doing, if they're continuing to issue these executive orders based on emergency powers uh, statutes in their states, um, and this also includes the federal government, they're violating the separation of powers because now, a year later, they're acting in a legislative function. So that by definition is unconstitutional at this point. And that's part of what um, what I'm challenging on behalf of church clients in court is a separation of powers argument. What a lot of my other uh, colleagues um, in you know Alliance Defending Freedom at First Liberty um, and other organizations, um, obviously the Thomas More Society is where I'm special counsel and um, I'm connected with. And by the way, they are now a sponsor of this podcast. I'm really, really grateful to continue to collaborate with them. And uh, they this happens to be a great topic to talk about the Thomas More Society, but you can find them at uh, thomasmoresociety.org. Find out all about the great representation we're doing. Um, but uh, but anyone who is an advocate for uh, liberty and freedom and for restraining government to the constitutional parameters to making sure we still have a separation of powers between federal and state, we still have a separation of powers between legislative and executive, has to understand and should be arguing in front of the court, and that's why we are, that the court then needs to do its function as a a coordinate branch. Um, a lot of people like to use the term co-equal, but um, and that's actually a separate conversation. But it's a coordinate branch um, of the judiciary to make sure that the judicial branch restrains this runaway executive power um, that is being exercised a year 
over a year after the start of this so-called emergency um, and restrain the executive branch into its proper function. So then, of course, the question becomes, well, you know, Governor DeSantis just said yesterday in Florida and, you know, we're all here, I think, fans of uh, Governor DeSantis and how, you know, his um, his view on protecting freedom uh, has definitely been great. I'm I'm I love that he has uh, lifted, you know, any of the mask mandates, all of those things for Florida has reopened their economy. I mean, he's done so much good. Um, the one thing that's interesting to me and we'll have to wait and see and we'll follow this up on, um, in a later podcast. When he issues whatever executive action he announced yesterday that he's prepared to do, I'm very interested to see the substance of what that executive action is, because, again, this is really a legislative function. And so um, we have to, even as conservatives, be very, very careful to always analyze any sort of executive action or order or, uh, you know, any sort of power that the executive chooses to exercise, we have to always look at that through the lens first. What is our first threshold question? Can this particular executive agent do the thing they're trying to do? Do they have the legitimate power to do that? So I'm going to be interested in analyzing uh, his executive action and to see, you know, how that fits within our analysis. I think that um, certainly conservatives will probably like uh, whatever it is he's prepared to do because he's saying that um, he doesn't want to have vaccine passports. Um, And so, again, you know, we may like that, but uh, is that within his executive prerogative? Well, we have to then analyze um, the substance of his executive order to figure that out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the first answer to this question of vaccine passports is uh, what branch of government could possibly even have the authority to issue something like this. So when we look at um, the federal versus the state government, we also have to analyze, okay, to whom are these vaccine passports applying to? So if we're talking about, for example, um, and and everyone who's concerned about this, who's been asking me this question, you know, for the last week or so, or actually really since the the pandemic began, um, we've had this question. Most people are concerned about how it relates to American citizens, how it relates to interstate travel. Okay, so that's a very different question under the Constitution than uh, what agency of our government can deal with uh, with foreign travelers, non-citizens coming into the country. So obviously the federal government does have jurisdiction, um, and we saw that through the Trump administration, that... Um, that there is power for the president 
to uh, to harness uh, their ability under statutory provisions from the legislature, which has been delegated from the legislature to say that a uh, that's in the United States Code that the president can say that any person or class of people um, for I mean pretty much basically any justifiable reason or any reason that just has a, a legitimate rationale, um, then the president can say th- those uh, persons or class of people uh, can be prevented for a certain term from coming into the United States. And so um, so likely if uh, if the president were to issue an order saying anyone who is foreign, who's not a U.S. citizen, they have to show proof that they've had the vaccine before they enter into the United States. That is probably constitutional because we're not dealing with American citizens. And we're also dealing with a specific provision of law that has already been upheld as constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. And I do think that their rationale in those cases was constitutionally sound. Um, So and then, of course, Americans traveling abroad. um, That's a different question because um, the U.S. Constitution, of course, doesn't apply to, say, me as an American citizen wanting to go over to the U.K. or if I want to travel, you know, to Europe or if I want to travel to South America or wherever it is, Um, you still would have have provisions under uh, potentially, um, you know, the if you're depending on, you know, what what court and what framework you're in, if there's any sort of um, convention on human rights and if you um, if you apply the right to travel in that context. But that would be a different analysis in terms of what law applies rather than the U.S. Constitution. So separate in your mind those types of uh, analyses and recognize this is why, you know, constitutional law, I think, is so fascinating, for one thing, and um, and why the law is very complex in the sense that you have to break down uh, where does this actually fit in within our analysis. It's not as simple as saying, I don't like vaccine passports. I don't I don't want to do this. So therefore, Biden's wrong. Well, that's that's way, way overly simplistic. So when we're talking about, though, I think what um, every Everyone is really contemplating. Uh, a lot of you want to know, okay, how would this apply to me if I'm traveling from, you know, say Washington D.C. to New York, or um, you know, say if if I am going from Washington D.C. back to my home state of Colorado, um, and obviously it would take a lot of time to drive there. You know, what about flying? What about all of these different uh, ways and methods of traveling interstate? So when we look at this, um, then the the threshold question has been answered that the executive function um, a year after over a year after the the beginning of this emergency, the executive branch and the the chief executive on either a federal or state level, that would be a violation of the separation of powers to say that it is a compelling interest of the government to issue under the auspices of an emergency powers act requiring a vaccine passport for any sort of interstate over the border lines that would have to um, even just as a threshold question i'm not saying that this is constitutional if the legislature were to do that but in terms of just analyzing the executive function the executive branch would be overreaching and it would be a violation of the separation of powers for 
the executive branch um, to try to require that. So so that's the the simple answer um, or the least complex answer to whether or not the um, the federal or the state government um, could do this from an executive capacity. So now let's turn to the legislature. So what about Congress? Um, so on the federal level, you know, Congress would have to um, if they were going to require um vaccine passports, one, they would have to do that um, to and from every state, uh, likely. Otherwise, there would be um, a challenge probably for under equal protection, under, um, you know, a lot of other theories in terms of why this particular um this particular requirement would apply to only one state over another state. Uh, there's there are other arguments that you know we could get into as to why Congress uh, likely even through some sort of um, analysis like uh, interstate commerce. Um, so that has been such an abused section of the Constitution um, that would not be a justification under a uh, a congressional framework for Congress to legislate uh, interstate travel. There's there's also a case um, called uh, Tumor v. Witzel. It's um, for any lawyers who are listening. The uh, the citation is 334 U.S. 385. It's in a 1948 case, and the primary holding of that case is that the Privileges and Immunity Clause prevents states from discriminating against out-of-state individuals if there is no substantial reason to treat them differently. This also gets into um, the the 14th Amendment as well in terms of equal protection um, and in terms of giving uh, the same uh, favor to uh, one, one state as as to another. And in terms of the right of U.S. citizens, even if you're a citizen of one state over another, to not be discriminated against. Um, But this particular case, I think, is spot on in terms of our analysis because the Privileges and Immunities Clause um, prevents states from discriminating against out-of-state individuals if there's no substantial reason to treat them differently. And the way I would probably argue this case is to say, well, of course, the legislature of a state or potentially Congress, uh, if they're saying, well, a vaccine passport is needed uh, for out-of-state individuals, and of course, COVID is a, is a substantial reason because we can't have people coming in and, um, you know, causing an outbreak and causing, you know, a spike in our in our COVID cases. Well, we have to look at um, what we've been doing over the last year. We haven't been um, halting any sort of travel uh, between the states. We have um, only had masks and social distancing at best. I mean, on airplanes, we only have masks. Um, we haven't been double masking um, even in, uh, you know, and in some states now like Florida and Texas and South Dakota. I mean, there's um, Idaho, you know, there's there's no masks um or social distancing, everybody's just going about their their daily lives. And so is that really a substantial reason to say, well, just because you're from Florida and we don't like what your governor is doing in that state, that means we can treat you differently than someone who's coming in um, to a state with a vaccine passport? Well, probably not. Um, so that that's a huge basis to say that this would be unconstitutional.
This also gets into a threshold question of whether or not the state legislatures could compel individuals to get a vaccine and require basically a precondition in order to exercise the right to travel. And so what that means in kind of non-legal speak is to say, can the government force you to go and get inoculated? Can the government stick a needle in your arm? Well, the answer to that, of course, is no. Um, There have been uh, different ways that the court has upheld that proposition of right to privacy, um, being able to conscientiously object, um, have religious exemptions, have, um, you know, other types of privacy issues, health exemptions, um, people who uh, just for whatever reason, either are unwilling or unable to take the vaccine. So then what happens? happens to any of those carve outs. And if you don't have a vaccine passport, what happens if you're one of the people that would meet that type of exemption? Um, And can the government compel every individual to have to prove their ability to travel before exercising that right? Well, Um, The court did contemplate um, similarly in Jacobson versus Massachusetts. That citation is uh, 197 U.S. 11. It's a 1905 case. This is one you've probably heard of in the context of uh, vaccine passports and and just, well, the vaccine in general, um, because this dealt with really it's the only Supreme Court case that has dealt with the idea of the government compelling a vaccine. But this has really been misrepresented in the media, the, the holding in this case. Um, because the the only issue that the Supreme Court was dealing with in this case was not whether or not the government could have a statute that says a vaccine is required, but if you are a conscientious objector, like uh, this Massachusetts individual was, Jacobson, um, it, when he said, no, I don't want to take the vaccine, whether the government could have a small nominal monetary fine if he was unwilling to follow the statute. And that was the only issue that the Supreme Court expressly said they were not contemplating whether or not the government can compel you or to forcibly vaccinate you. That wasn't the question. The only question was to say if this statute that they're requiring vaccinations and you object for whatever reason, can the government then give you a nominal fine? And the answer to that, the Supreme Court said in terms of the nominal fine, that was okay. But what the Supreme Court did not hold in that case was that the, the government can forcibly vaccinate you. And this this case did not deal with any sort of issue of, um, of travel or any sort of infringement on fundamental rights. Um, there was never a contemplation in the Jacobson case of um, of the individual not being able to go to uh, public events, utilize public transportation, um, have to show um, any sort of proof or getting fined regularly for every single instance of noncompliance, um, going, you know, traveling uh, interstate, any of those things. So this is a case I think that would inform um, some of the jurisprudence that we might get if uh, the government chooses to have vaccine passports, but um, but this is not a case, uh, and I respectfully disagree with my friend Alan Dershowitz, the government cannot haul you down to a health clinic and plunge a needle in your arm. 
absolutely not. That is something, you know, that that is fully unconstitutional for a variety of reasons. Um, the right to privacy, health decision making, I mean, so many other things. But when we're talking about a vaccine passport, we're also talking about the fundamental right uh, to travel, the fundamental right to participate in society. Um, some of these things that are constitutionally protected that would then turn our rights into mere privileges, that we would have to first show the government certain proof that they want, and we would have to meet certain criteria that the government imposes in order to exercise those rights. So um, so even if the legislature decided we are going to legislatively create a statute that is a vaccine passport. And um, and so so let's say that they're the entity. And of course, we know the legislature can uh, can create laws. That's their legislative purview. But that's still limited. And so from a congressional standpoint, um, that would be a much, much different contemplation if Congress were trying to do it. That would be a lot more thorny than even the states. So let's look at probably the best way for the government to impose a vaccine passport would probably be on the state level and in the state legislatures. So even then, if let's let's just take um, any state legislature, they pass a law and a statutory provision requiring vaccine passports in order to um, go to public businesses, um, certain like schools, for example, public schools, um, if they are trying to for public transportation, for any government owned property, um, for any interstate travel, for any of those things. Um, so private businesses, of course, that's that's a separate conversation, whether businesses um, like if you're flying on a major airline, can they require that? That's a separate conversation. That's also very interesting. But if we're just talking about government uh, ability to regulate here and we're on a state legislature contemplation, then the argument, of course, here is that that would certainly be, be an infringement on the exercising of a fundamental right. And the court has recognized um, the right to travel as fundamental. It's deeply rooted in um, our history and tradition, of course, of having that uh, that ability to freely um, move within um, not only our uh, communities, but also to travel uh, between the states. Um, there is some regulation, of course, that's allowed, but it has to be for a safety reason. And, um, you know, and that's why, for example, having, um, you know, driver's licenses or having insurance, some of those things have been upheld as constitutional because that isn't a, an overly burdensome restriction on those fundamental rights. Um, but when you're talking about a vaccine passport and having to show that proof before being part of the public community and being uh, being able to freely travel and um, patronize uh, government property, you know, those types of things, that's a much more um, thorny issue for government. And I think at the end of the day, absolutely is unconstitutional because for the government to set up this type of requirement 
and to turn our right uh, basically into merely a privilege and to say you have to show why you meet this certain criteria under the auspices of public safety before you can participate in your rights and exercise your freedoms and liberties um, is unconstitutional. It's the exact same reason why um, the government can't uh, shut down churches and say you can't freely exercise your uh, your religion and you can't hold worship services until we tell you you can open back up your churches. Government doesn't have the authority to do that because that is infringing on um, a fundamental constitutionally protected right. And of course, the right to travel isn't specifically enumerated in the Constitution, but the rights that are specifically enumerated, like you know, freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, those types of things, um, those aren't the full expression of our rights. Those are just ones that are specifically enumerated that the government most often infringes on. So of course, um, the right to travel is fundamental. It's part of um, what we have to do in order to participate in society. It's been recognized as a right before. Um, And so having a vaccine passport, while some may think it's a good idea, um, it's it's, it's unconstitutional in the sense that um, the the government and and the state government would be requiring you to show proof before you can exercise it. Another similar analogy would be uh, the waiting period um, before purchasing a firearm, for example, and why a lot of these um, red flag laws are being challenged as unconstitutional. The government can't require um, to the extent that it would be infringing on your right, uh, your free exercise of your right of a fundamental right uh, to have certain requirements that are so onerous and burdensome that it restricts your abilities and so uh, to exercise your rights. And so in terms of a vaccine passport that we're contemplating, unlike even something like, you know, say a three-day waiting period, okay, well, that's even temporary in nature, but this would be a amount to a total ban on your fundamental right. If you said, well, I'm not getting a vaccine, So I won't have a vaccine passport. And until I get one, I can't exercise my right to travel. I can't uh, patronize any of, you know, these public areas. I can't do any of these things that the government is restricting. And that's indefinite. That would that would amount to a permanent ban on your liberties. If you were a conscientious objector, if you didn't want to take the vaccine for whatever reason, uh, and the government required that type of passport. So um, so that's just kind of an overview. And I know that that was a ton of information that I just uh, threw at you. But these are the types of arguments that uh, anyone challenging these sorts of liberties really need to contemplate. It's not just as simple as do we think it's a good idea? And that's usually where the political punditry gets involved, where people are talking about, you know, the leftists are going to say, well, you know, don't you want everyone to be safe? And, um, you know, all of these emotional appeals. Well, it's not about safety all the time. It's about, well, first, can you even prove that? I mean, look at how we've been operating as a society over the last more than a year without requiring vaccine passports. So what would be the compelling interest of government to infringe so heavily that it would be tantamount to a permanent ban on your and my freedoms in this context um, to require a vaccine passport. I mean, that doesn't even meet a rational basis threshold because we've already been exercising those freedom and liberties uh, for the last year when we've been able to treat the coronavirus, when we've had other things in place, supposedly. You know, the CDC is telling us that 
social distancing and masks work well, then uh, why would a vaccine passport be necessary and be tantamount to then a a permanent or indefinite ban until you choose to then go and get inoculated. So um, so it doesn't make sense. Um, it's just another way for um, the government to not only retain uh, total power over this issue, set really bad precedent in terms of what the executive or even legislative function uh, could be in this context. And my concern as well is that uh, if a vaccine passport, especially from the executive branch, but even from a legislative uh, prerogative, if that were to be upheld as constitutional, the implication for that for government power would be huge and would be so egregious compared to what is actually a legitimate function of our government. That's what concerns me even more than just this question. That would be opening the door to so many other possibilities down the road and would be creating a whole line of precedent that uh, we should not stand for in this country and that the U.S. Constitution does not allow. And it's not a question of whether you think it's a good idea or not. This is something that our rule of law, the way that we value freedom over regulation, the way that we protect freedom over government infringement, that is something that our rule of law requires in this country. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. My concern, of course, is whether or not our courts and particularly the composition of our Supreme Court is going to protect and preserve our fundamental right to freedom and liberty and the ability to make decision making for ourselves and our families in uh, in healthcare, in legitimate healthcare concerns, uh, in terms of privacy, in terms of um, the the freedoms that we exercise, uh, the ability. I mean, what if what if the government is now saying, well, you have to have a vaccine passport um, to go into churches, and and churches now have to require that, or. Um, you know, any sort of school setting, there are already schools that are uh, starting to require uh, vaccine proof before you can be a student and come back on campus. I mean, this type of thing is starting to encroach not just within this context. My concern is the line of precedent that this is going to be setting uh, for future ways that the government on both a state and federal level is going to try to manipulate the power of emergency and harness the power of fear of the American people to try to force through whatever sort of uh, coercion they want to establish. So this isn't just about a vaccine passport. It's not just about whether you think it's um, you know a good idea or not, if you're in favor of the vaccination or not. This is a question about limited powers of government. And our principle, our foundational threshold question is always about the principle of limited government and making sure that we as a society continue to keep government limited 
and within the correct parameters of the scope of limited authority in the Constitution and do not allow them to override that and to start encroaching into our freedoms and start overregulating. Otherwise, that is going to have significant implications for future ways that the government is going to try to harness the power of emergency and simply say, oh, well, this is a health reason. This is for public health. And so we're going to try to to do X, Y, and Z thing in the name of public health. So I hope that um, no conservative is going to be for this, certainly. I hope that no conservative, uh, whether they're Republican or Democrat, I don't care what party, but someone who's genuinely for our rule of law will not stand for this if they're in government, um, if they're in the legislature, if they're in the executive, And I hope that if an overriding uh, progressive leftist tries to do any of this, that we will have those challenges in court. I know that we will um, for, you know, and and, uh, organizations like the Thomas More Society um, will certainly be on the front lines of that. And it's also my hope that the court system will do its job of judicial review and will hold both of the political branches of government on both the state and federal level within their limited context and make sure to say, no, sorry, government, I don't care if you think it's a good idea, you can't. So thanks for joining me here on Just the Truth. And we're going to have obviously more of this continuing conversation as we see whether or not uh, DeSantis is going to issue that executive order and what it contains. 